Welcome to the Sunday evening service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this wonderful church, of course located in Thessalonica, unlike those at Corinth, we know that Paul had many corrective things to say to the Corinthians there. They were acting out and often in an immature, proud way, puffed up way. This church, Paul has nothing bad to say about the Thessalonians. In fact, he says, I thank God for every remembrance of you. Isn't that wonderful? It's a testament to their character and their lives. Let's begin tonight with the word of prayer. The question tonight will be, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping in? Father, we do commit uh, this time and the word to you. Lord, we're thankful for this church. We are grateful because their question resonates in our hearts. What happens after we die? Tonight, as we look at the great hope, our great hope, I pray that you would fill us with, uh, with the joy of not just living this life in abundance, but looking forward to all the things you've got planned for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I do encourage you men to to think about ahead, June is a ways away, but think about perhaps helping us on that trip to the Dominican. It's a thousand dollars. That includes your flight and your hotel as well as your food. It's a pretty good deal. And then uh, we'll be helping them put on a new roof inside, work in their home and in their and their church and Bible Institute there in uh, in the Santo Domingo in the Dominican Republic, where Brother. Ronnie Autry has started a great work. In fact, his Bible students, his graduates, have started over 50 churches during his time as a missionary there, done a great job. But if you'd like to be a part of that, we are actually going to join a couple other churches, men from their churches, six from each church or so. And so if we have that number, we'll get going to be able to help them a little bit, and that's in June. All right, you're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The question comes... Uh, what, what are you hoping for? What are you hoping in? I suppose uh, hope is a word that we're all familiar with, but what is it? As uh, Robin uh, met Trish McCoy out and about this past week, of course you know her husband went home to be with the Lord Pastor People's Baptist Church not too long ago. It was around Valentine's Day that Robin uh, met her and they talked about the home going of her husband, Pastor David McCoy. And, and uh, it was just, of course, at that time of the year where we celebrate the love and love of our lives. And she said this, it is hard, thank you for asking, she said, it is hard uh, to, to understand and hard to deal with this separation, but to know that the love of my life is with the love of his life does make it a little more easy to bear. She says, it's still hard to live my life without him. So be in prayer for her and others, of course, that go through that sad goodbye. Soon we will see our beloved saints again in glory. But hope is a word we're fairly familiar with. It is, I guess, what carries those little stocking feet down the stairs on a Christmas morning at 5.30. They hope for something. I guess it's been a good year for Georgia. If you're a, if you're a sports fan in Georgia, it's been a good year. You've been hoping a long time, 40 years, right, for your dogs to do something good. And this was the year for you, and I guess uh, if you're a baseball fan, it was a good year for you. If you're a football fan, keep hoping, keep waiting. 
uh, hope <laughs> springs eternal. It uh, puts a sparkle in the eye of a little four-year-old girl on her way to grandma's house. She hopes for something. She anticipates something good. And I've noticed this. When my wife became a grandmother, I guess that's okay to say, I think uh, her visits with the, the little grandkids, I mean, she does not spank them like she spanked our kids, if at all, right? And it's all about, when, she, when the kids come over, it is all about good times. <laughs> so no wonder your grandkids love coming. They anticipate coming to your house because it's all wonderful, right? It's all good. It puts uh, the young bachelor, keeps him awake in church, right? I hope that new girl notices me. It's the lifeblood of any fisherman. I hope they're biting today. In fact, you can almost breathe it in the air of an emergency room as anxious parents pray for good news. What is biblical hope? Well, let's read some verses here to a group of people that were kind of confused about about what was going to happen to their loved ones after the grave. What are you hoping for? Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 4, and then a few verses beginning in verse 13. But let's read verse 1 as a, as a starting place. Furthermore, Paul says to the Thessalonians, We beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you've received of us how ye ought to walk and please God, so ye would abound more and more. Uh, this church is a wonderful church, and again, well-respected, well-appreciated by Paul. But they had a question for him as they began to believe, that, or they were believing, that in their lifetime, God was going to come back. In fact, when he was elevated, of course, there and after Pentecost, and up in the air he went, and, and certainly uh, or before Pentecost, he, he elevated, left that command to go into all the world. He, he said, I will surely come again. I go to prepare a place for you, John 14. And if I do, I will come again. That's my promise. Well, they expected that Christ was going to come back immediately, within a week or two, perhaps, maybe a month or two, a year or two. But now folks were dying in the church. God still hadn't come back. And so they began to have questions for Paul about what about those loved ones of ours that have gone home to glory, gone home, died. What's happening to them? Christ is coming back, isn't he? Well, verse 13, But I would, have, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren or uninformed, unaware, concerning them which are asleep. Euphemism for passing away, dying, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, here's the gospel, right? And conquer death, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Hmm. That's hopeful. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. I underlined that little clause. By the word of the Lord, that phrase, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or precede them which are asleep or have died. Don't you like the next verse? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. The voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain, again, Paul expecting God to, or Christ to come back even in his lifetime. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. There's going to be a meeting in the air, the song says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let me begin tonight by just sharing with you the difference between expectation 
and or at least human expectation and biblical hope, I suppose all of us could probably answer that question, what is the difference? Secular or human hope, the word secular means without God, is built on just a positive, perhaps, prospect, a speculation that the unknown will someday bring us a good result, right? As humans, we always hope for the best. We uh, don't know what tomorrow will hold, and the Lord is, through His Apostle Paul, commanding these or encouraging these folks, I would not have you to be ignorant. <laughs> we don't know about, at least humanly speaking, about the future. We don't know about our own future, our own health. And so we, spec- we hope, we wish for, it's wishful thinking. But biblical hope is built on what God knows and has already secured. Heavenly hope says that... Uh, uh, we can look forward, forward to the future based on the promises, based on the person, and based on the power of God. We can, with great anticipation, be secured that God holds the future. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a prospect, right? Glory divine. We don't have to worry about the future. Have you been watching the news recently? <laughs> You say, no, there's enough fear in my life without that, right? Have you been watching the news recently? Not too, uh, uh, not too far away, I guess it is. I guess it depends on how you get there, but it is on the other side of the world. But there, there's the border between Russia and Ukraine. And right now, the troops from Russia are amassing there, assembling there in great numbers. And I don't know, do you, what's going to happen there on the border whether, in fact, the, the president there, uh, prime minister of Russia, uh, Putin has said that the greatest failure of the 20th century is when we gave up uh, Ukraine, that landmass, that territory. He says that's the greatest failure of the 20th century. Wow. And so uh, he has a, a view that that was a great failure. No doubt he would like to have that area and that people group back under his control, he, he says, democracy there has been a failed project. Well, we don't know what's going to happen there. Secular hope is iffy. It's uncertain because it has no confidence in what the future holds. It's all speculation. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the substance, the reality of things hoped for. Biblical hope has different prospect. It is a blessed assurance, again, in the person, the promises, and the power of God. Oh, but pastor, you cannot be too sure of the future, can we? Did you know something? Everything that will happen in the future is already printed in God's history books. He already knows. The end from the beginning. What will Russia do? The border of Ukraine? If you think about it for a moment, there's nothing that can occur that has not already occurred to God. And there's nothing that will happen that has not been planned and allowed by God. Nothing ever surprises God. In fact, it's quite exciting, really, to think about. I don't know. We, all, we always hope for peace in our lifetime and, and peace to prevail worldwide. We sing about it. We hope for it. But the Bible says things will get worse before they get better, right? They will. Men will wax worse and worse, and this will usher in the end times. In fact, one of the first events in the tribulation, the seven year of 
final tribulation for the world is the move from Russia. Russia is named in the Bible. Did you know that? Ezekiel 38, 39 says that Russia will actually in the first half of the tribulation make a move against the people of God, against Israel. That occurs. Can you imagine? We're just thinking tonight. Can you imagine if this is a land grab and and that, of course, creates within the heart of those Russians, perhaps, who conquer or regain or reoccupy Ukraine, rule over that. Maybe that will make them hungry for more and then accelerate their desire to move down further south to where the people of God are. Who knows? But I know this, God knows the future, doesn't he? We can rest assured in that. We don't have to worry, but that's just exciting to think about. The coming of Christ is closer today than it was yesterday, and who knows what the future may hold. But there's a a great truth that biblical hope is based on really God's character, His spoken word, and His power. I like the song that says, my tomorrows all are known to Him. So biblical hope as a way of defining it, is anchored to the revelation and reputation of Almighty God. So with that definition of biblical hope as a blessed assurance and confidence in God Himself, the promises and power of God, let's look at our great hope according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First of all, I think uh, the Christians needs to develop an upward perspective that is built on the character of God, an upward perspective built on the character of God. I, I, I noticed that they're, they're really stirred up in Thessalonica. Uh, you're worried. What's happening to those who've, who've faced death and now are no longer with you? You expected God to come and make things right and rule and reign, and, and now folks one by one are taking their flight, a golden chariot called death. Where are they going? What's happening to them? What's happening to us? Now, to study the tombstones, historians tell us of this era of history, they reveal and, uh, that, that, that that people lived back. They were, not, they were not ignorant people. They were not necessarily backward people. They were very intelligent. They were artsy. <laughs> they had great philosophers, but very little hope. In fact, uh, there was a tombstone that was recovered and the inscription, this goes, dates back to Paul's day, said this on the tombstone. It says, I was not, I became, I am not, and I care not. Wow. Life, is life just a funny, funny riddle? I was not, I became, I am not, and I care not. That's despair, isn't it? As a result, the Thessalonian believers had come to question what happens to us and our loved ones if we don't make it to the Lord, alive to the Lord's return. What if we die? Is it all over? So strong was the expectation that God would come at any moment that they began to get worried about those who had missed out on that. I love the fact that verse 16 tells us, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise again. Rise first. This made no sense to the Gnostics around them who thought the body was bad, evil. The spirit is good. Why would God ever come and resurrect the body? Leave it alone. Leave it in the grave. But Paul is explaining to us 
a wonderful miracle that shall occur when Christ comes for the church. Well, so we're asking the question tonight, what happens? What happens to our, belie- to our, our beloved believers who die in the Lord or fall asleep in death? Of course, Paul isn't speaking about those who fall asleep in the services, but those who fall asleep in death. God's coming back for them. We see that uh, right there in our verses tonight. Well, what is biblical hope and how is it going to affect the church? For if we believe that Christ died and rose again, and He did, He conquered death, so we have no reason to believe that we as believers will not also, like the first fruit, Christ, also be raised. Even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. The good news is this, because of the gospel, we don't have to fear death. Thanks be to Christ, Paul says to Timothy, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, 2 Timothy 1.10. I remember uh, the despair, and one of the things, the hardest things for the preacher to do is to, is to officiate at a funeral where the the assurance of salvation or the profession of faith of the one who is deceased is not known. And it was a case early on in ministry uh, in my life where I had to do that. There was a, a hopeless crowd that gathered. And I was called upon to do a funeral. Somebody I didn't even know, small town, Indiana. And the funeral director knew me well, knew that I was a preacher in town. said, listen, we've got a family here where the family just needs a preacher. Would you come? And I said, I'd be glad to minister. I, don't, I got some details about the person who passed away. And, and I preached the sermon. And one of the things I say in a situation like that is simply this. I say, you know, uh, so-and-so passed away, and we don't know the secret uh, conversations of his heart with God. We would trust that sometime in his life, we don't know this, but sometime in his life, we would hope that he made a profession of faith in the finished work of Christ. And often I will say this. But even though we don't know about his status with the Lord, if he were to return and stand before us right now at this funeral service, he would certainly encourage all of us to get our hearts right with God. He would encourage us that way. We know there's only two destinations for the soul of man, heaven or hell. But in any regard, if he could come back and urge us, he would urge us to make our our, our profession of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Well, after the service was over, I was milling around with the family members in the hallway of the funeral parlor. And I heard a voice from the back, one of the relatives, holler out and say, Preacher, you need to tell these folks that Mr. or Uncle so-and-so is in heaven. Don't leave any doubt about that. He's in heaven. Of course, that boy was hoping, wasn't he? He didn't know. No one knew. As we discussed with him, was there a time? No, I don't know. But he is. Preacher, he would say. Put him in in heaven. Pray him in. He was asking this preacher to do something that no preacher can do. I can't infuse your heart with hope. I didn't die on a cross for you. My blood was not sufficient, but Christ was. And so we are to say this, listen, we have this moment in time to put our hope, our assurance, our security in the words and the character and the promises of God, so don't delay. Only one life will soon be passed. Our hope 
is an upward perspective. Since Christ is risen from the dead, the dead also will be raised. His resurrection underwrites and guarantees ours. Since He is able to overcome death, and we too shall have that power because Christ promises that. Uh, are we confessing our faith in the risen Lord? Do you ever, I don't know if you ever heard about this, a, ca- a cattle rancher had uh, 3,000 head of cattle out on the farm and he was eating lunch with his wife inside the house and he was mowing down, he was hungry. He ate one hamburger and then he ate another one. And by the time he picked up his third, his wife kind of looked at him and the wrinkled brow and said, now honey, you better slow down. We're about to run out of beef. <laughs> he looked out the window and saw his 3,000 head of cattle and says, wait a minute, honey. You know what? We worry about death. All we have to do is look at the empty grave, right? Because he rose. On the basis and the guarantee of that sort of power, we can be assured that we too will rise again. So ours is an upward perspective. We are, our expectation is in the finished work uh, and his abundant power. Secondly, our upward perspective is built on his sure word. I asked you to underline a verse in your Bible, chapter 4, verse 15. For this we say unto you, and here's what I've underlined in my Bible, by the word of the Lord. I could have told that boy in that funeral parlor, listen, yes, I think, well, maybe, I would hope. Well, let's pray him in like the Catholics do, right? Let's try to pray your uncle in. Let's do some indulgences. Let's, uh, let's pray for the dead. No, I can't do that. But a paste upon, and, and Paul was assuring the Thessalonians, based on the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are, of course, dead in Christ. We can base what we believe on the word of the Lord. Upon what grounds, may I ask you, Upon what grounds do you expect to be raised again? It's a, it's a joy and a blessing for me to interview folks that come to our church and ask about membership. You know, I always ask this question. Upon what grounds do you believe that you are saved? And it's, it's interesting that the answers that we get... But I'm telling you, unless your faith is built on the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and the invitation to you to receive Him and what He's done for you, His atoning work, His atoning blood in your place, His righteousness, not yours. And I I always fish for that answer until I am satisfied to know that they in their heart are putting their faith in that word, not some other word or some other action or some other deed, good deed. Uh, And So if if I were to approach you as an agnostic, what proof do you have that you will be raised from from the dead or from the grave? Well, you could turn to John 11 if you wish to. John 11, 25, 26, Jesus said what? I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he dies, though he are dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth on me, finish that, shall never pretty quiet out there, die. Amen. So you can tell the old devil if he's coming and picking on you a little bit. I put my trust in the word of the Lord. And he said that if I believed in him, I would never die spiritually. And it's not my word, it's God's word. Amen. Romans 8, 37, 
For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, principalities nor powers, angels, things present nor things to come shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ, our love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, the text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15, for this we say by the word of the Lord. I'm glad as a, as a politician, of course, we'd have to just kind of trust our own word. I remember a president running for office years ago. He looked at us on television and said, read my lips. Remember this? No new taxes. Well, it didn't take long before we had some uh, new taxes. Here we are saying, Jesus and Paul is saying to them, Jesus is coming. Don't, don't read my lips. It's Christ that said, if I go, I will surely come and come again. That where I am, there you may be also. It's his promise that we trust in. And so they don't have to worry. We don't have to worry about the departed dead. There's going to be a resurrection day, a rapture of those that are dead in Christ and those that are still living, believing in Christ. The rapture will take place instantly, in a moment. The, rap, the word rapture really means, and Paul's referring to this, the word rapture really means to, to snatch up or to snatch away, to catch away speedily. In fact, in 1 Corinthians, we see it this way. It's in the twinkling of an eye. That's a short amount of time, isn't it? And Christ will come and... Uh, the church will be vacated, at least true believers will. All those of us that know the Lord will all of a sudden lose our gravitation, be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Firstly, I think it will be a time where the church, first time in all of church history, where everybody, amen, will be on time for a meeting. It's all right, you say amen. <laughs> There's going to be no exceptions. We'll all be ready or not. Uh, if we were believers... Christ will call us up to this meeting. And then it will be signaled by the voice of our commander-in-chief. Look at verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend. There's, of course, uh, two events where the Lord will come. He will come. First he came as a baby. Then he will come for his church. He will come for his church. His feet will not touch the ground. That will be a meeting in the air. And then he will come with his saints. He comes for his saints at the rapture, with his saints at the second coming. So the commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, will holler out. We don't know what he'll say. He'll say, Christians, come up. It's supper time, or it's time for the marriage supper of the Lamb, the celebration. And uh, I hope he doesn't have to say to our church, Christians, wake up. No, he'll say, Christians, come up. Then the Bible says Michael or another archangel, possibly the announcement angel, Gabriel, we're not told that for a matter of fact, but he will blow his trumpet, right? Well, let's look at it. It says, with a voice, not the trumpet, with a voice of the archangel. And again, we don't know what he will say, but the Lord descends with a shout. And uh, then the voice of the archangel will, will again usher the invitation for the church to rise up. And then the trumpet of God. In fact, we see this as the last trump that is listed in 1 Corinthians. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means those that have gone home. He's answering the question for the Thessalonians. Those that have died before you and now uh, in, in glory will be reunited, glorified bodies at that time. And the saints on earth that are still alive will be raptured together. And a miracle of a glorification will occur and we will 
gather with the Lord in the clouds. There's going to be a meeting in the air. The trumpet of God sounds, and it's a wonderful truth as we are raised together. And I think that's important to understand that this event, and I'm going to share with you some of the things that I think are very hopeful. After the rapture, what happens? Well, we have this meeting in the air. And remember, at the rapture, the Lord comes for His saints. But Christ takes us home after we meet the dead in Christ. we raptured together, we meet in the air, the Lord takes us home. Now, what do you reckon is happening when we go home? A home is, of course, another word for heaven. It's the dwelling place, the abode of God, and it's the home of the saints, the future home of the saints. All of us have a home in heaven. Well, we have seven years to celebrate our marriage with uh, the Lamb. It'll be a wonderful time where God embraces His wife and He presents us as a present to the Father. The Father, in turn, gives the bride to the Son, and there's this glorious union of the bride of Christ and uh, the Son, the Lamb. And there we are celebrating. There's also a time during those seven years where you and I will be brought up uh, for judgment. It's called the Bema Seat, First Corinthians and uh, Second Corinthians, and we're going to be brought up before the Lord, not to see if we're worthy for heaven. He made us worthy. We're there already, but it is a time where we're going to be uh, judged according to our works. And as Paul is speaking of that, alluding to that, even in the passages we've been studying in Sunday morning series, where Paul says, I don't want to lose my reward by incorruptible crowns. Did you know that the way you live now will be rewarded in glory? And some will be saved, though, as by fire. But during those seven years, the church will be evaluated and judged or rewarded, encouraged for their labors while on earth during the time you had as wise stewards. So that's happening in heaven But what's happening on earth? It's a glorious time of celebration in in heaven, but on earth there's something very different going on. It's called the seven years of tribulation. And I'm I'm glad that the church will be spared from that. That's my personal position on that. We'll not have to go through any part of the tribulation. Well, while we're celebrating, the world powers are staging, gathering. I already mentioned Russia begins its move at the early part of the tribulation from the north towards Palestine, and when it gets there and surrounds the people of God, the Lord Himself miraculously descends and turns back and destroys, or, or, or certainly puts a hurting on Russia, and God will prevail. Later, from these international troubles that boil up in the Great Tribulation, a world leader will appear. He will garner or garnish the powers of the world around Him. He will be seen as the Antichrist, the like Christ one who hates God, And he will garner the powers of the world in the respect of even Israel. And he will come make a covenant with Israel, which he will break later. And soon the whole world will coalesce after him, follow him, and surround towards the end of Jacob's troubles. The last three and a half years are a time of great tribulation, where if the God didn't spare, uh, nobody would survive it if God didn't intervene. But all the world powers, including if there's anything left of America... All the world powers will surround Israel. It will be the culminating battle, the greatest battle in history to that point, Armageddon. And then God himself will call for his troops in heaven. That means you and me, all the residents of heaven will join the Lord for the second coming. He will come with his saints all the way to earth. And with simply the word from his mouth, he will destroy all the nations of the world that come against Israel. And uh, after that, 
Uh, this is what's happening on earth while we're celebrate. Well, we'll come back with the Lord at the seven years, but after that, there will be a, a burying of the dead, which takes quite a while. <laughs> we don't know how long that takes. I visited Gettysburg and heard about how long it took them to just bury those in that engagement that died in those battles. Uh, but there will be a time where there will be this burying of the dead, the nations that came against Israel. There will also be this wonderful uh, instatement of the final, final reign of history, at least in world history, where Jesus sets up his throne. The King of Kings and Prince of Peace will come and set up his throne in Jerusalem, Zion. The climate will change. We talk about climate change. We talked about it and talked about it. Finally, it will change. There will be a river that flows from Jerusalem all the way into the Mediterranean Ocean. A child will be able to play, Robin, believe it or not, by the snake's den without any harm. A lion and lamb will, live, uh, will, will enjoy life together. And so we'll see almost an Edenic period where, 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 where sin's effect will be greatly diminished. Lifespans will be greatly in, uh, enlarged again, elongated, and Jesus will reign from Jerusalem with a rod. Of, this, is, this is happening, the thousand-year literal reign of Christ after the great tribulation. And so the Lord wants us to know that we are to hope in Him. Now at the end of the tribulation, or excuse me, end of that thousand-year reign, Satan will have his last hurrah. Do you know that he will be released from the pit he will stir up the hearts of men again, even under the reign of the Prince of Peace from Jerusalem, and there will be an insurrection again, after which God will put that thing down. Finally and ultimately, the devil and all of his angels will be cast into the lake of fire along with Hades, hell, and the gates of hell will be closed forever, and the gates of heaven as well. And then we'll enter the final state. Sunday night series going forward will be about future things, but that's kind of the panoramic view. And so back to, uh, to, to wrap up in 1 Thessalonians 4, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them that are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as those that have no hope. We have great hope in Christ. Uh, amen. This, this is a wonderful plan. Don't be shaken by world events. We know that it's getting gloriously dark outside, but we can, we can have biblical hope, blessed assurance that this the stage of human history is ruled by the overseeing, overarching plan of God. His power, His character, and His person ought to secure our hope in Him. Are unbelievers to be fearful? Absolutely. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, but of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write to you. You should know this, even though you don't know the day of the hour, you perfectly know the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night, when no one is talking about, no one is expecting it. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child in pregnancy. They shall, listen, they shall not escape. You're not in darkness, brethren, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You're the children of light, the children of the day. We're not of the night nor of dark. We don't grope around for answers. We know Christ is coming again for His church. Therefore, let us not be sleepy, <laughs> lazy, settled for as others. But let's watch. Where are we to watch? The upward perspective. Look up. Your redemption draweth nigh. 
For they that sleep, sleep in the night, be drunken or drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And this verse is comforting to all of us. What are you hoping in? For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or die, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Some people, even preachers, are saying, well, 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 I think the church is going to go through part of the tribulation, or at least half of the tribulation. Well, and they, and they say that simply because they, they say the, the last three and a half years of the tribulation is really God's judgment upon the world. And the first half is just God's judgment nation to nation, each nation. As I look at the great tribulation, or the tribulation in its entirety, it seems to me that all of it is God's judgment upon man. And it will be well known when the tribulation begins, you won't have to guess about it. <laughs> if you're an unbeliever here, the church will be raptured away. And so I, I think that there's a couple of things I think about when I think about the fact that I've decided to be a, a premillennial, pre-tribulational, I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church because... Not only because of this verse that says the church is not appointed to wrath, but as you read the book of Revelation, other passages that are correlated to the end times, you do not find the mention of the church there at all. There's a silence about the church. The, really, the, the hand of the Holy Spirit through the work of the church is missing. And although there may be an opportunity, I, I'm not sure about this, and I certainly wouldn't, I wouldn't uh, predict this, there may be a hope. Somebody said, do, do, is there any hope for somebody who... who uh, who all of a sudden looks around and sees all his friends raptured away, and he's heard the gospel before the rapture of the church. Is there any hope for him? The Bible says those shall not escape. I don't know for sure. We know that the church is gone. The, Holy, the working of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is never absent, but the working of the Holy Spirit in gospel freedom is now, in the tribulation period, simply ceased. It has. It's done. There is the witness of perhaps Elijah and Moses, the two witnesses. There's a witness of the 144,000. There'll be copies of the Word of God still available. Is there no hope for somebody who hears the gospel here in a church like this after the rapture? Gets, I don't know, but the chances certainly diminish exponentially. Don't say, well, one day, even if the church gets raptured, I'm going to get saved then. I'll take care of that then. No. Now's the time. Now's the accepted day. Don't wait for some other season. If God is, there's a fearful time coming for unbelievers. But the hope is found in 1 Thessalonians 5 9. And this is the wonderful truth God has not appointed us to wrath, He's going to protect us and bring us to Himself. But what a blessing it is to know that God's plan is right on schedule. We have this day to let the light shine brightly, the hopeful promise is that there in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 9, for God has not appointed us. Thessalonians, don't worry about it. Uh, God's going to take care of your dead in, dead, in the, dead in the Lord. He's going to take care of the saints that have ceased to uh, be here and gone home to be with the Lord. And it's, there's going to be a great reunion day. And we're looking forward to that. Corey Ten Boom was talking to a man, a Christian man, who, uh, who didn't know how to respond to the fact that he would not, the doctors told him he didn't have long to live. And he was naturally fearful. And he told her, Corey, I have never died before. And I'm really afraid 
about this. And Corrie Ten Boom, of course, survivor of the Holocaust and a great Christian woman, author of many books, and a great speaker really penned these words after her meeting with him. She said, are you going home? What are you afraid of? Are you going home to be with the Lord? You're not afraid, are you? Afraid of what, she asked, to feel the Spirit's glad release, to pass from pain to perfect peace, the strife and strain of life to cease? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To die and see the Savior's face, to hear His welcome and to trace the glory gleam from wounds of grace? Afraid of that? Afraid of what? To die and enter heaven's rest, and yet to serve the master blessed from service good to service best? Are you afraid of that? Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.